Well, before we get to the great white throne, I want to invite the men to breakfast on Saturday morning. Don't forget that. We have the man up breakfast. I understanding we're having cheese grits. And whether you like them or not, come. You ought to find out. They're good. They'll, 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 they'll hold you down. And I think Bobby, Bobby's been at, Bobby Elip's been asking me, can I preach, Pastor? Can I preach? So I'm going to let him loose on Saturday morning. So we'll hear from him. And so we'll have a good time together uh, with that. All right, get your notes out and uh, take a look here. We're going to just quickly review. We're getting close to the end of this study. I think we have this study and then one other study, but that's going to be a couple weeks down the road. Just so you know, uh, next week we have Pastor Dr. Mike Privet, who's going to be with us Sunday, but then he'll be with us again Wednesday night. The following Wednesday night, you're going to get to hear from my nephew. He's uh, been a pastor out in New, out in New England and is making some changes in his life right now, and he's coming out to visit with us. And uh, I asked him if he would be willing to to speak to us uh, on that Wednesday night. Uh, I think it's November 10th. So we're looking forward to that. His name's Nathan, and you'll enjoy him. And he's built just like his Uncle Dan, so he's a big guy. And uh, so you'll, you're, you, you won't have to be afraid of him because you're used to him. All right, so let's look at page 3 in the notes, just see where we've been. We talk, looked at the rapture of the church. I give you a whole lot of notes just so you keep up. Some people come in and they don't get the whole study, so I'm just trying to give you little little pictures here along the way. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we always be with the Lord. That's the next thing that's coming. We've already reviewed that. Then you have the judgment seat of Christ that takes place up in heaven, where Christians receive their rewards for the things they've done here on the earth. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now you want to be at that judgment. You don't want to be at the one we're going to talk about tonight. No Christian will be at the great white throne judgment, but every Christian will be at the judgment seat of Christ. So there's a difference. There are two different ones. One is for rewards. The other one is for an eternal destiny. And we wanted to, we will talk about that later tonight. Then we go into the marriage supper of the Lamb. Uh, Revelation 19, 7, let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. This is when the church becomes intimately united with the Lord in heaven and they prepare for all kinds of things down the road that God has for us. The reign of Antichrist takes place down on earth while the Christians are up in heaven enjoying the judgment seat and, uh, and enjoying the getting ready for the marriage supper. The reign of Antichrist is down here on earth for a while, Second Thessalonians 2.8. Then that lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. So the Antichrist rules the world for a little while. He is the last absolute dictator the world will ever know. And then, then King Jesus steps onto the throne. In the middle of the tribulation period, we have, I think, the judgment of the nations. Ezekiel 38, verses 21 and 22, God calls kings from the north and kings from all over around Israel together. Verse, 30, verse 21, I will call for a sword against him on all my mountains, declares the Lord God. Every man's sword will be against his brother, 
with pestilence and with blood, I will enter into the judgment with him, and I will rain on him and on his troops, and on the many peoples who are with him, a torrential rain with hailstones, fire, and brimstone. They gather together to attack Antichrist, and the Lord uh, takes those kingdoms out, and then Antichrist takes credit for it. Okay, then we get into the second coming of Christ. At the end of the tribulation period, I'm still on page three in the notes if you're following along. Uh, the second coming of Christ, Revelation 1-7, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. All right? And so the second coming, and then we go into the millennial reign, where it's a thousand years of peace. We talked about that the last time we were together. And it seems like we missed a week in between. That's right, Pastor and I were down south last week. And so we missed a week in between. So let's just kind of go back to that. Look in your notes now. Let's go back to, let's see here, uh, page six in your notes. We're skipping over a few pages because I want to spend some time here in the, in the, uh, at the judgment seat of, uh, at the uh, great white throne judgment. So let's just kind of review this uh, millennial reign of Jesus Christ. I like that little quote there uh, right above that in the middle of page six. The powerful weapon that God will use in his confrontation with the forces of Satan will be the most powerful weapon of all times, and that is his word. The Lord Jesus comes and he, had, and he takes out all of, the, all of Satan's armies. He takes Satan and he casts him into the abyss and binds him for a thousand years. And the, the uh, Antichrist and the false prophet go straight into the lake of fire. And, uh, and then for a thousand years, the Lord Jesus rules over the face of this earth. Some people will have lived through the tribulation period and they will go right into the millennial stage. Others will be born during the millennial period. It's a thousand years. Now, those who were Christians, have accepted Christ and were taken up in the rapture, you will not be uh, having children during those days. You're not gonna, we're going to be like the angels in heaven, neither given in marriage or otherwise. But there are human beings who, are, who went through the uh, tribulation period who will be getting married, having children, and their children will be having children for a thousand years. The Lord will repopulate the earth again in a perfect place like Eden was supposed to be, like the earth was supposed to be in the beginning. All right, so Satan is chained up and shut up in the abyss for a thousand years. So there's no temptation. There's, no, there's nothing there to, to distract us from following the Lord. Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 3, I saw an angel coming down from heaven. An unnamed angel, maybe an unimportant angel. There's no name for this angel. And he takes out what is supposedly one of the most powerful angels at the word of the Lord, uh, Satan. I saw an angel coming down from heaven holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. So a thousand years of peace, and then the devil gets loose again, and he brings trouble back. All right, now Jesus is ruling and reigning, Revelation 19. We won't go into all of that. Page 7, you've got saints who will be taking their place on their rightful thrones. You've got Old Testament saints who will be ruling. Uh, Daniel chapter 7 talks about that. 
You have the 12 disciples who will be ruling over the 12 tribes of Israel. Matthew, Jesus promised that to Peter and the other disciples in Matthew chapter 19. And then you have New Testament saints where it's promised to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 3. Do you not know that we will judge angels? Now, I don't know what that's going to be like, judging an angel. But uh, we will be like the angels, but we will be sons of God and we will be over the angels at that time. Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. And we will be reigning with the Lord uh, in a lower capacity than the king of kings, uh, helping him with ruling the world as it is being repopulated here during the, during the millennial reign. And then the tribulation period martyrs, those who were killed during those seven awful years when the Antichrist rules over the earth. They're killed for their faith, for not taking the mark of the beast, for for speaking up for the Lord. And the Antichrist hunts them down and, and takes them out. And their souls uh, are brought back during this time to help with the ruling and the reigning, according to Revelation chapter 20. Verse page 8 in your notes, if you want to look along here. Once God's saints were judged and persecuted by the world, and now during the millennial reign, uh, they were treated badly then, but but the day will come when the saints will judge the world instead of the world judging them. And so when we see all these things and we know these things are happening, I see Christians all the time who are down and discouraged and in the dumps and they're worried about where the state of things going, where things are going politically. Uh, I, we were in, I've been in churches where it looks like the attendance is dropping and pastors are nervous and, uh, and things like that are happening in churches. But we need to remember that Jesus Christ is going to win. And we need to remember that he's going to come out on top. And we want to stay faithful uh, until that day when he is actually ruling and reigning. Who will be ruled over during the millennial age? About this before, we as Christians will rule over angels. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And then there will be believers who survive the great tribulation period. And they will be repopulating the earth during the millennial time. And we will be ruling and reigning over them. It'll be like, I don't know if we'll be like mayors of a city or governors over a state or presidents over a nation. But we will all be under King Jesus ruling and reigning in his, in his kingdom based upon what we did in this life and the rewards that we receive at the uh, judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat. That will determine where we fit into this whole uh, scale of politics during the millennial kingdom. Does that make sense? All right. Very good. Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 34, and then verse 41. Let me read those verses to you. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. He's the King of kings. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those who are on the right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That's the millennial kingdom. Then he will also say to those on the left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Those are the ones who gathered with the devil at that, uh, at that great battle of Armageddon, and they're cast into hell. Okay? And then, so this millennial kingdom is the third time... When the whole earth is populated only with believers in God. The first time was when? It's in your notes, you can cheat. 
When was that? The Garden of Eden. Right, Adam and Eve. And the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, when they were first created, they believed in God. They walked and talked with him in the garden. There was great peace. Uh, the animals didn't eat each other. and They, had, they didn't attack the Adam and Eve. There were, no, there were no weeds. There were no thorns and thistles. Everything was wonderful. The believers were the only two on the earth. And then sin came and everything changed, right? And then God uh, watched as the earth repopulated. Adam and Eve's children grew and had children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, etc., etc., etc. Until you get to Genesis chapter 9, where every evil thought, they was, that was the only thought that they had, was evil continually. And God said, I've had enough of this. And he saw one man, and his, he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Who was that? Noah. And then we had the flood, where God destroyed the earth, because of man's sin, again. And then when the ark landed on Mount Ararat, and then Noah and his family stepped out, once again, the earth was populated only by, first it was two people, now it's eight people, right? And then in the millennial kingdom, once again, it's only going to be populated by people who believe in the Lord. That's going to be a wonderful time. And there's going to be a whole lot more than eight people. Can you imagine what that kind of a world is going to be like? We're going to see it. It's going to be real, okay? All right, let's see here. Let's go on to the next page. Uh, page number nine. What is it going to be like during the millennial period? We will be forever young. I think there will be some death during the millennial kingdom because, remember, those people who are alive during the millennial kingdom have a sin nature that they inherited, and they brought into it, and... Death comes by sin, right? And so Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 65 does tell us, however, that we will live a long time during the millennial period. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem for rejoicing and her people for gladness. I will also rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. And there will no longer be heard in the voice of weeping and the sound of crying. No longer will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his days. For the youth will die at the age of 100, and the one who does not reach the age of 100 will be thought accursed. So you imagine 100-year-old teenagers running around? What's that going to be like, right? Verse 21, For as the lifetime of a tree, so will be the days of my people. Wow, we've seen some big trees that have lasted a long time, right? And my chosen ones will wear out the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they are the offspring of those who are blessed by the Lord and their descendants with them. It's going to be a wonderful time. Yes, ma'am. During the millennial period, there'll be leaves for, for healing. I haven't seen that. I'll have to think about that one. I know in the new heaven and the new earth in Revelation chapter 21, there will be trees like that. The tree of life will be there, and they'll lie in a river. And we'll, we'll get to that one in the next lesson, about three weeks down the road. But, huh? Revelation 22, right, Revelation 22. Yeah, that's all coming up in the next couple of, a couple of weeks, all right? So it'll be an unprecedented time of peace. And you have that picture there that you can see. If you want to get a picture of the, of the millennium, just go to our church nursery where uh, Don Malone has already painted a picture of it there. 
I'm trying to get him to paint heaven later on. We'll get him to do that. We got we got to got to motivate Don a little bit, paint a little bit more. He doesn't need anything to do, I know. But it says there in in Isaiah chapter 65 and well, let's 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 look at the bottom of page 9. Uh, Isaiah 11:4 through 9, but with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth and he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Also, righteousness will be the belt about his loins, and faithfulness the belt about his waist. And the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little boy will lead them. Also, the cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together, and a lion will eat straw like the ox. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child will put his hand on the, in the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The reason we have all these problems in this earth today is because men have turned their backs on God. But during that time, their eyes will be on the Lord and they'll recognize him as being who he is. Top of page 10, Isaiah 65, 24 and 25 it will also come to pass. that Before they call, I will answer God will read their hearts and answer, the, answer their prayers. And while they're still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will graze together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. And dust will be the serpent's food. They will do no evil or harm in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. The thing about the dust uh, and the serpent was promised way back in the book of Genesis, right? And that, 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 that the serpent would crawl around on the dust of the earth. All right, and then there will be one final rebellion. Remember we read where Satan is bound for a thousand years and then he's let loose for a season. And some of those children that are born during the millennial period will make the bad decision not to accept and, and, and follow the Lord. And they will choose Satan over Christ. Even though they've had a thousand years of peace and tranquility and the wonderful rule and the presence of the Lord, the answer of his prayers... Peace among the animals, peace among the people, all these things. And the devil comes in and tempts them. And their hearts are still wicked because they have that sin nature. James talks about our sin coming from within us, not something being forced upon us. And these young people will make bad choices. Revelation chapter 20 verse 7, when the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from this prison. And will come out to deceive the nations which are on the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war, the last war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. That's a lot of people. So we know there's a lot of people born during the millennial time. Verse 9. And they came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, that's Jerusalem, and fire came down from heaven and devoured them. There really was no battle. There really is going to be no battle I talk of that as though it's past tense. It's, it's coming down the future. Verse 10, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And the devil is done. The devil is done. He will never come back. He will never torment again. And all the temptation that you face in this world, you will never have to worry about that ever, 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 ever again. Of course, as a believer, you'll be in a resurrected body, and that won't be your problem. But we will never see that on the, on the earth again. 
So what we're having to see is that we're going to be lo- we're losing time. Time is passing, and this is all go- we're all getting to this point. And we're getting now to the bottom of page ten. We're just going to bypass some of those things in the middle of page ten, and we're going to go straight to now to this great white throne judgment. Now, what is this great white throne judgment? This is not for Christians. This is for unbelievers. This is for people all throughout history, alive and dead. They will be brought before God and given account to Him for the life that they lived and for rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me read those verses, bottom of page 10, Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne. I'll read it out of my Bible here. It's the same thing. I'll just read it out of the notes. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away. So this is going to be such an imposing throne that you're not going to even see anything else. Earth and heaven fleed away. And there's no place found for them, the people, all the people, the small and great. I saw the dead and uh, the great and the small standing before the throne and books were opened and another book was opened which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things that were written in the books according to their deeds and the sea gave up the dead which were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire just like the Antichrist, the false prophet, and Satan. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Go to page 11. We have become so accustomed to the day of grace to think about this thing of the lake of fire and hell. It's just hard for us to comprehend. We can't wrap our heads around it. And we think it's it's almost... You know, we've got Halloween coming up around the corner, and we kind of look at hell, and we think of it as being kind of like, oh, just one of these strange movies that people watch, these scary films and things, and it's just going to be a scary day, and it'll be over. No, this is an eternal thing that is, is, is burning and prepared right now for the devil and his angels. And every unsaved person you know, family members, friends, people who live in your building people you see in the streets of San Francisco. Every unsaved person who rejects Jesus Christ and dies without him is going to end up in this lake of fire. Now why do we talk about this? Number one, we want them to see the urgency, but number two, we need to remember the urgency because we get lazy and we get comfortable and we forget that we have a mission And that is to reach this world for Jesus Christ so these people don't end up in this place. There was a sermon preached way back in the 1700s by a Puritan pastor called Jonathan Edwards. Not the Jonathan Edwards who was here a few weeks ago uh, preaching, that country guy from from Utah. This is a Puritan pastor and he he preached a, a very powerful sermon. Actually, when he read it, he just, he actually, when he presented it, he basically kind of read it in a monotone from what I understand. But the message of it was so powerful, it brought a great awakening there in New England and spread in many places. And I think it's important for us to be reminded of some of these things. So let me read from that, past, from that sermon, portions of it, on page 11. You see the graphics on the left, they go along with the, 
the sermon that Jonathan Edwards preached. Here's what he said. This that you have heard is the case of every one of you that are out of Christ. That world of misery, that lake of burning brimstone is extended abroad under you. There is the dreadful pit of the glowing flames of the wrath of God. There is hell's wide gaping mouth open. You have nothing to stand upon nor anything to take hold of. There is nothing between you and hell but the air. It is only the power and mere pleasure of God that holds you up. You probably are not sensible of this. You find you are kept out of hell but don't see the hand of God in it. But look at other things as the good state of your bodily constitution, your care of your own life and the means you use for your own preservation. But indeed these things are nothing if God should withdraw his hand. They would avail you no, avail no more to keep you from falling than the thin air to hold up a person that is suspended in it. Your wickedness makes you as it were heavy as lead and to tend downwards with great weight and pressure towards hell. And if God should let you go, you would immediately sink and swiftly descend and plunge into the bottomless gulf. And your healthy constitution and your own care and prudence and best contrivance and all your righteousness would have no more influence to hold you and keep you out of hell than a spider's web would have to stop a falling rock. The God that holds you over the pit of hell, much as one holds a spider or some loathsome insect over the fire, abhors you and is dreadfully provoked. His wrath towards you burns like fire. He looks upon you as worthy of nothing else but to be cast into the fire. He is of purer eyes than to bear you in his sight. You are ten thousand times as abominable in his eyes as the most hateful venomous serpent is in yours or ours. You have offended him infinitely more than... Ever a stubborn rebel did his prince, and yet tis nothing but his hand that holds you from falling into the fire every moment. O sinner, consider the fearful danger you are in. Tis a great furnace of wrath, a wide and bottomless pit, full of fire and of wrath, that you are held over in the hand of that God whose wrath is provoked and incensed as much as against you as against many of the damned in hell. You hang by a slender thread with the flames of divine wrath flashing about it and ready every moment to singe it and burn it asunder. It would be dreadful to suffer this fierceness and wrath of Almighty God one moment, but you must suffer it to all eternity. There will be no end to this exquisite, horrible misery. How dreadful is the state of those that are daily and hourly in danger of this great wrath and infinite misery. But this is the dismal case of every soul in this congregation that has not been born again. However moral and strict, sober and religious, they may otherwise be. Oh, that you would consider it, whether you be young or old. That's powerful. But that's the truth. We only have a very short life. We'll soon be passed, and then we face eternity. And only those who know Jesus Christ as Savior will escape this fate. And it is important that we have a burden for this and a passion about this and that we share this gospel with people who can be saved from this. Who is destined for the great white throne? Revelation 20 verse 12 tells us the dead, the great, and the small. Powerful people, insignificant people, anybody who does not know the Lord. The wealth, political power, good deeds... 
or other considerations that often bring favor here in this life will be of no account on that day of judgment at the great white throne. John chapter 3, verse 17 to 19. We know there's hope, and we're thankful for that. Jesus Christ offered it to us. God did not send his Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not judged, but he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment, that light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. Verse 36, he who believes in the Son has eternal life. If you've trusted Jesus Christ, you don't have to worry about the great white throne judgment. But if you're not sure about this, you better get sure, because this is coming. If you know someone who's not sure, you need to make sure they understand the urgency of the matter. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son of God will not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. That's where sinners are today. Facing the wrath of God. Except for the grace of God. Erwin Lutzer talks about some people who thought they could escape the, the face of God by either being cremated, eaten by a fish, thrown in the sea, buried so far deep that God couldn't find him. But I like what John MacArthur said there in the middle of page 12 in that, in that, that box. John MacArthur writes that God knows every speck of human dust and every strand of DNA, and he calls it forth from deserts, caves, jungles, seas, tombs, ghettos, and palaces. And they will all be there at the great white throne. Their bodies will be resurrected. Judgment day will have finally come. That's what the great white throne is. No matter what happened to their bodies, no matter how long we think they have been gone from this earth, think of people who've been dead for thousands of years. You think they've just turned to complete dust. They're all going to come together that day and meet at the great white throne if they don't know Jesus Christ. So who's pronouncing judgment from the great white throne? Revelation chapter 20, verse 12, I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence the earth and heaven fled away. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10 says, The day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. So who's sitting on that throne? It is Jesus Christ. The Son of God. Pastor has described him as being our creator. And then he became our redeemer. He offers us salvation. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish at the great white throne judgment and in the hell that follows. But we'll have everlasting life in heaven with the Lord. So he's our creator. He's our redeemer. But at the great white throne, he is going to be the judge. He is going to be the judge. How do we know this? John chapter 5, verse 22. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he's given all judgment to the Son. So it's God the Father has given judgment to the Son. Why? Why would you think Jesus would be the one? Because he created us. Because he died for us. And because sinful men rejected him. So therefore, he is the judge. You ever had to face a judge? I'm going to try to be a little more light, but it's a scary thing to face a judge. I remember years ago on Guam, I was driving down a road to go visit a friend who was sick. 
and I went down this long hill and I could hardly keep my car from rolling down the hill. And I'm going down this long hill and down at the bottom of the hill were three or four police officers and they were waiting to pick me up. And they pulled me over and they said, you were speeding. I said, I'm going 30 miles an hour. They said, yeah, the speed limit's 15. I said, well, where, where am I supposed to know that? And the sign was up behind a tree someplace at the top of the hill. And they were getting people left and right. And I said, speed trap, speed trap, speed trap. It didn't do me any good, though, when I went to see Judge, Judge Abadi. I went to see Judge Abadi because I was 15 miles over the speed limit. 30 miles an hour, 15 miles over the speed limit. It doesn't make sense. But I went in, and, and, and Judge Abadi looked over me, and he was, he was an old man, probably my age now. And he looked down over his glasses, and he said, Sir, are you innocent or guilty? I said, Guilty, sir, with a question. He said, innocent or guilty? There were no questions. And I knew what it was to stand before a judge. And 60 bucks later, I was paying my fine. I think it was 60 bucks. She doesn't remember. Good. Anyway, this is going to be a lot more serious than that. A lot more serious than that. Look at verse 25, verse 23. So that all that will honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent them. Verse 25, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who will hear, those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also life in himself. And he gave authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life and those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Page 13, Acts chapter 17, verse 30. God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man, Jesus Christ, whom he has appointed, having furnished a proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Philippians chapter 2, it says there that every knee will bow at the name of Jesus. And every knee will give glory to him. That's the great white throne judgment. All who have rejected Christ up to this time will all of a sudden come to understand who he is. Now what's the basis of the judgment that will take place at the great white throne? Revelation chapter 20 verse 12 says books were opened. And another book was opened which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which are written in the books, according to the deeds. So one book, the one that we know is named, is the book of life. Now there's a lot of theories about the book of life and what that is, and I've put some of them down in front of you. And we, for the sake of time, we won't spend a great deal of time there. But I, I believe that before the foundation of the world, every man's name was written in the book of life, and at the moment of death, their names are blotted out if they have not accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. Psalm chapter 69, verse 29 says, May they be blotted out of the book of life, and may they not be recorded with the righteous. Revelation 3, 5, He who overcomes will thus be clothed with white garments, and I will not erase their name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Whatever really matters, whatever, however that book of life works, and there are arguments in both sides of this thing, whatever it is, you want to make sure your name gets put in there. And how do you get your name put in there? By trusting Jesus Christ. Make sure that you put your trust in Jesus Christ. 
That is the most important thing. That's what this life is all about, what you do with Jesus Christ. Other books which determine degrees of punishment in hell. God has taken notes of every sinful action that we do. Every idle word that men speak. Every time you misuse the name of God. It's important. Revelation chapter 20 verse 12 says the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. Now this doesn't mean that we have this great thing and if you did a lot of good deeds you earned your way to heaven and if you did a lot of bad deeds you have to go to hell. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about degrees of punishment in hell. Some people will have a hotter place in hell than others will. But even the coolest place in hell is too hot for me. Right? Matthew chapter 12, verse 37. 34 to 37, right next to that cartoon of those people talking. You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good. The evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they will give an account for in the day of judgment. For by your words will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Now, how do you stay out of that book? You accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. And then all of your sins are taken care of at the cross, and you don't have to give an account for those things anymore. Jesus paid it all. You see the benefit of salvation. Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. You think of what you've heard on television, what you hear in the streets of San Francisco, what you hear at work, what you hear among the children in your home sometimes. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. We think it's a light thing to flippantly use the name of God. It's not. It's not there will be an accounting for it. This seems very strange to us. This seems very harsh to us. But it is what the Lord says. We're going to have to move on to the next page. What is the final outcome of this last judgment at the great white throne? Revelation chapter 20, verses 14 and 15. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. The lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now you've read Luke chapter 16 about the rich man and Lazarus. And how Lazarus was carried to Abraham's bosom and the rich man died and found himself in torment, right? The rich man also died and was buried, Luke chapter 16 verse 22. And in Hades he lifted up his eyes. Those who go there have the ability to see where they are. He was being in torment. Those who go there feel eternal torment. And saw Abraham afar away and Lazarus in his bosom. Those who go there know there's another place that they could have gone and they missed it. Those who go there experience incredible thirst. For I am agony in his... Uh, he said, he, please send, Abra, send Lazarus so he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue. I've never been that thirsty that... A little drop off of somebody's fingertip was going to quench my thirst. Those who go there know, go, go there are engulfed in flames. I am in agony in this flame. Those who go there remember what life was like before they go, went there. 
Abraham said, Child, remember during your lifetime you received good things, and likewise Lazarus bad things, but now he is comforted and you are in agony. So for all of eternity they are going to remember every time they heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every time they said no. Every time they missed the opportunity to escape the agonies of hell. Those who go there will remember what life was like before they went there. And uh, then those who go there don't want anyone else to go there. The rich man said, I beg you, Father, that you send him, Lazarus, to my father's house, for I have five brothers, in order that he may warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Now, the rich man ended up in Hades. That's not the lake of fire. The lake of fire is coming at the great white throne judgment. Revelation chapter 20, verses 14 and 15, page 16. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. Other passages of Scripture describe what this is like. In Luke chapter 8, verse 30 and 31, it talks of Jesus talked to that demoniac, and they cast the demons out of him. And the, lead, the demons said, Jesus said, what is your name? They said, Legion. And they asked him, they begged Jesus that he wouldn't throw him into the abyss. This is the place prepared for the devil and his angels. Revelation chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, describes what happens when things when that abyss is opened up during the tribulation period. The fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven which had fallen in the earth, and the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. He opened the bottomless pit, and smoke went up out of the pit, like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun of the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth, and power was given them, as scorpions of the earth have power. So those who end up in the lake of fire are going to be in a bottomless pit, burning for all of eternity, falling for all of eternity, tortured by smoke, tortured by these awful creatures of hell. It's going to be an awful thing. That is where your unsaved loved ones are going. That is where your unsaved neighbors are going. That is where the people in the streets of San Francisco are going. If they don't accept Jesus Christ as Savior. We need to remember this. But the saddest thing about the great white throat judgment is that the hell that comes was not created for man. Matthew chapter 25 verse 41 says it was prepared for the devil and his angels. Another sad thing is that Jesus Christ has prepared a way of escape. John chapter 3 verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. You don't have to go there. Your friends don't have to go there. Your loved ones don't have to go there. Jesus has made a way. Tell them Tell them. Warn them. Page 16, it's appointed unto men once to die, and after that comes judgment, Hebrews 9.27. Hebrews 10.31, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Page 17, the Lord is long-suffering. He has been thousands of years providing a way to escape this thing. But one day... His grace runs out and the judgment falls. 
this is the time to prepare. This is the time when we can be busy. You say, this is awfully harsh. Well, I like the illustration on page 17 that Erwin Luther uses. He said, when we were kids, we used to throw snowballs at one another. And if we threw a snowball at each other, it was no big deal. Now, if we threw a snowball at Dad, then we were in more trouble. If we threw a snowball at a policeman, we were really in trouble. And if you or I throw a snowball at the President of the United States, we're going to jail. Why? Because the one you have offended determines how much judgment you have coming. And we need to understand that sin offends a holy God who cannot look on sin. He's never sinned once. He didn't create us for a sinful world. He created us to love Him and to serve Him. We need to be busy about helping people escape the great white throne and the hell that follows. Father, we pray that you will help us to have this urgency in our hearts. This is a sober message. It's not a pleasant message to even talk about. I don't enjoy this. But I am so grateful for the knowledge that Jesus Christ died for me. Otherwise, I would be headed there myself. Thank you for the grace of God in my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.